It's time to talk sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror. It's time to talk movies, TV, books, and games. It's time to escape boring talk radio with the Jenny through the wormhole and into the geek universe. And now, a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome to a very special edition of Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and that voice you heard at the top of the show is our Android announcer, Rachel. We're coming to you live on tape from Geek Headquarters, otherwise known this week as the Desert Planet of Jakku. While many of us will be celebrating Christmas this week, the Geek Universe had Christmas come early. It came a week early as the wait is finally over and Star Wars The Force Awakens is now in theaters. And that means it's time for the Geek Universe Star Wars Holiday Special. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Wait, 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 wait. It's not that Star Wars Holiday Special. On our special, we're going to take a look at the past, present, and future of the Star Wars franchise with some very special guests. Later in the show, author Brian Cronin is going to return to share more pop culture urban legends from that galaxy far, far away. We also had a chance to talk to one of the biggest Star Wars fans around, and he's even been declared the St. Louis area's biggest fan by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Superfan Jason Shepard's going to be here to give us some insight into how he built his massive collection of action figures and toys. And make sure to stay tuned for the end of the show because Jason's got a pretty big theory about one of the new characters introduced in The Force Awakens, X-Wing pilot Poe Dameron. But we're going to kick things off with one of our favorite guests here on the show, Van Allen Plexico from White Rocket Books. You may have read his Sentinel series of superhero novels, or he's written sci-fi in the Shattering series. And he also hosts his own podcast, the White Rocket Podcast, which I've been a guest on numerous times. And I wanted to have Van on because... And I saw on Facebook that he said there were some things that kind of bothered him about The Force Awakens. As much as he loved the movie, he had a couple of issues, and I wondered if they were the same issues I had. So we brought Van on to kind of give an in-depth review of the movie. I feel like I watched the original trilogy, drank a bottle of tequila, fell asleep, and dreamed it. Um, <laughs> you, you know, because yeah, it's yeah. like it almost makes sense, and yet it almost is like a weird dream that doesn't quite add up yet. And I think now, to be fair, I think a lot of it is when we left seeing Star Wars in 1977, there were still a lot of questions up in the air. So I don't have a complaint. I don't have a problem with them not answering all the questions and leaving some mysteries. I'm glad. That's fine. Let's right. keep that rolling into the next one. That's okay. Even though it's weird that the trailer gave away more information than the movie did about things that are left mysterious, which is kind of strange that the trailer had more information than the movie. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, it had the look and feel of Star Wars. It seemed like we were back where we should have been all along. And and I do love the characters, you're right. But on the other hand, it's so J.J. Abrams. It's like the most expensive fan fiction ever staged. Right. It, and it, it rehashes the, the original trilogy so blatantly that I'm I, you know, I'm kind of like, if the only way they could do it and make it this good is to do it this 
similar to the others, then I guess that's okay. I'd rather have a good derivative movie than a bad original movie, which is the prequels. But yeah, I'm still, I'm just a little disappointed that it couldn't have been just a little more original and still be this good. Which, by the way, David Edelstein's review on NPR, he talked about that too. He was saying, isn't there any way at the end that we could have had both original and good? (laughs) Right, right, right. So I agree with him there. Well, I think that's part of where I'm torn because going into it, and in fact, I said something in an interview on radio last week where, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I knew what the trailers and and all of the promo material was giving us, but at the end of the day, that was just marketing. I didn't know what the actual story was going to end up being. I I had a feeling. It was almost like I was using the force. I I had a sense of what was going to happen, but yeah. And, and all of the major, I guess, plot twists and, and surprises were not really that surprising to me because it made sense in the context of the story. Right. And I, I kind of saw where it was going. But I kind of feel like I wanted more new characters, and, and I understand why they wanted to have connective tissue with the original trilogy and, and bringing those old characters back. But it was almost like they were just thrown in for cameo appearances just to get the fan base excited about this movie when Mm. this trilogy I don't think is really about those original characters. It's, it's clearly about the new characters, which is great because I, like I said, I loved all of the new characters, but like you said, it was like, could we have original and good? Did we have to have so much rehashing with it? Well, to be fair, Han Solo was in this movie a lot more than I thought he would be. I mean, he really was one of the lead characters in it. That surprised me. And it looks like, I'm going to go ahead and say I suspect that Mark Hamill will be in the next one about as much as Alec Guinness was in Star Wars. I think that's kind of the role he's going to play and the the amount of screen time we'll see. So they're kind of spreading him out a little bit. Yeah, well, and see, that's the thing. I don't know that Luke's not going to be a more major part of this next one. I mean, it's weird because, like you said earlier, they left a lot of dangling plot threads, and there were some questions that they didn't quite answer. And I think this next one almost has to be about Luke as much as it is about the new characters and mm-hmm. what his deal is, because they just kind of threw it out there that he Luke Skywalker vanished. And right. I mean, there's probably 18 questions that you and I can come up with just about that one statement in the opening <laughs> crawl. Yeah. It's like, you know, why did he vanish? What, what was he, what's he been doing for the last 30 years? That sort of thing. Well, I, wasn't it, wasn't it great though, Jim, that the opening crawl was like Luke Skywalker has vanished as opposed to there is a taxation on the trade routes of the third. And you know, I mean, just like, Oh yeah. Thank goodness. We're back to crawls that actually are stuff we care about and not the back of an economics manual. And you know, what's funny about that is that of all people that I know that love star Wars, you're also a political science person. Yeah. So if anybody would have loved the <laughs> first three episodes, it would have been you, and even yeah. you didn't like it. Yeah, now that's not what I go to Star Wars for. <laughs> right, I read uh, big, you know, uh, academic tomes for that kind of stuff. I go to Star Wars for escape and to see. You like having all that governmental machinations and the Machiavellian stuff in the background. You just don't want it to be like the A-plot, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention that is on my mind about this is that when 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 the first trilogy came out, you know, and we were young, I remember thinking to myself how they looked like they were setting the exact same story up for 
for seven, eight, and nine, which is the old story was you had the 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 the, the Jedi who's past his prime and is now kind of uh, hanging around as a teacher, which was Ben Kenobi, and you had the uh, the best star pilot in the galaxy and a cunning warrior who was his buddy, and you had Princess or whatever, and or the I guess it was Amidala at that point. And, and anyway, it just seemed to me at the end of Return of the Jedi, I was like, okay, so Han and Leia are going to get married and they're going to have a kid who will be trained as a Jedi by Luke. Luke becomes Ben Kenobi and the kid becomes Luke Skywalker. It just seemed so obvious that they're, and, but with the danger of becoming Anakin, you know. Right, right, right. And they made a big point of how Ben Kenobi tried to train Anakin. I don't mean in the prequels. I mean in the original, the original yes. trilogy, they made a big point of how Ben Kenobi tried to train Anakin by himself. They changed this a lot in the prequels, I felt like. They, they shaded it differently. Not the, They didn't change the specifics as much, but they shaded it differently. The impression we got from the original trilogy was that Ben was off completely by himself, training Anakin by himself because he thought he could, Right, and he and he wasn't up to the task, and Anakin goes bad, and so I thought, okay, here we go again. Luke's going to be the last Jedi, and he's going to try to train Han and Leia's child by himself, and he's not, not up to the task, and it goes bad. And so I don't know if I'm the only one. You may have felt the exact same way, but I felt like I saw this story coming for thirty years. Oh yeah, so it wasn't that big of a surprise. And the the one of the things that I thought as I was driving home from seeing it the other night was if you look at the history of the Jedi that we've been shown in these movies, Yoda is one of the greatest Jedi of all time. His Padawan was Count Dooku, who ended up going to the dark side. Okay. You've got Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is one of the best Jedis of all time. <laughs> His Padawan is Anakin, who becomes Darth Vader. <laughs> and and now you've got Luke, who was the last Jedi. And he tries training somebody, and it ends up being Kylo Ren, who goes to the dark side. So it kind of makes me wonder what these great Jedi are doing wrong in their <laughs> training process, because, you know, three of the greatest Jedi in the history of this universe have had Padawans that have gone to the dark side. Yeah, the only good Jedi is apparently Qui-Gon Jinn. That's right. He's the only one that pulled it off. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. So where do you think this is going with the characters? Which ones did you like the most out of this with, with the new characters? And what are you looking forward to seeing in the next movie? That's really the question. I'm, I'm hoping that Ray will be fleshed out in the next one. I know people are talking about how great she is. They love the character. They love what the character represents. They love the actress. But honestly, for me, she was just sort of there. I, I know she did some neat stuff, but as a character, I never really got to know her motivations, her background, how she was able to do the things she's able to do. So I'm not I'm not negative on her. I'm just waiting, you know, I'm just waiting to to get some character stuff about her beyond just being somebody who does stuff. Whereas John Boyega, his character, um what did they name him? The Finn. Finn, yeah. yeah, I never, I keep Ray. All these one-syllable names are, are confusing. Right. <laughs> Finn, yeah, yeah, that, which is plural of fan, which is kind of funny. Um, in in the fan community of sci-fi, he he was very interesting because we got pretty much in in just a few scenes, we got his backstory, we got his motivation, we got what he was wanting to do. He was very human. He was very under. He was neat to have a stormtrooper that was you know actually a stormtrooper in the art. You know that was right. what I thought was funny when you saw the trailer the first time. You thought, oh look, they're disguising the the heroes as stormtroopers again. No, he's actually a stormtrooper. Exactly. So that was so I thought he was the most interesting character by far in this with the caveat that I'm waiting to know more about Ray because I think she has that potential. We'll have more from Van later on the show as we look ahead to episode eight of Star Wars. 
Coming up, though, we look at the past of the Star Wars franchise as Brian Cronin returns with more Star Wars urban legends. I'm Jim Yelton, and you're listening to Geek Universe. This is John Jackson Miller, author of Star Wars and Star Trek novels, and you're listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Ah, Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, give me the Star Wars, don't let them end. Ah, Star Wars, if they should bar wars, please let these Star Wars stay. And hey. How about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask. Did he scare you as much as he scared me? Star Wars! Those near it, Star Wars! My seventh winner up here, Star Wars! Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton. Let's continue our Star Wars holiday special with answers to some burning rumors about the original Star Wars trilogy. Author Brian Cronin from UrbanLegendsRevealed.com is back, and we started things off talking about Han Solo. Now, Harrison Ford is one of the best parts of The Force Awakens. However, if he had gotten his way in the early 80s, we wouldn't have gotten to see an aging Han Solo helping a new generation of heroes in Episode 7, because Ford wanted Han to be killed off in Return of the Jedi, to give the character what he felt was a proper end to his story arc. But other criteria came into play that derailed his plans. Is it true that the final decision was made more or less because of toy sales, and that they were worried that they weren't going to be able to sell as many Han Solo figures? Um, That's what Ford and Kurt both say, and I tend to believe both of them if I had to. I have to think that Harrison Ford is a little happy at this point that they didn't kill him off so that he's able able to cash in for at, at least one more. Oh, I agree. Although... Since we're talking about it, this has got to be a continuation of the rumor because a lot of people seem to think that they're going to kill off Han Solo in Force Awakens, and that that's the one reason why Harrison Ford said that he would come back and do it. I would certainly not be surprised. Right, exactly. The swerve would be to kill him off in the second of this new trilogy. Everybody's expecting him to get killed off in this one, but the second one is always the darker of the three anyway, so that would be the one to kill him off in. Now, in between... Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. It's pretty much common knowledge to all of fandom that Mark Hamill had a very serious car accident. Go into it a little bit. How serious was the car accident? And do you remember when it was and, and what the circumstances were? Well, the fascinating thing is that because it came, the accident happened before Star Wars was released, because of that, it was covered very, very lightly because Hamill was not a star yet. Right. So it's hard to actually pinpoint even when it happened. I believe it happened in January 77. It could have happened in December 76. That's how little information we have to pinpoint exactly what happened. Okay. And because of that, that's why we don't know exactly how severe it was. According to Hamill, it was a generally some, fra- you know, some facial fractures and, and things along that line. But obviously stories... As Hamill, Hamill wrote in, like, 1980 in interviews, he said, I read some stories that apparently my ear was falling off and I would have to carry around my nose and things like that. The big legend springing from his car accident is that 
the whole reason there is the Wampa attack in The Empire Strikes Back is that they needed a storyline reason to explain his facial injuries from this car accident. So I have to assume, since you're telling me that the accident happened sometime after Star Wars was done shooting, but before the original movie was released, that this might be a false legend. His interesting one is that I'm actually, I just recently read some um, uh, in, interesting information that ties into this, but still backs up the original uh, conclusion, which was false. The issue is, is that uh, Hamill actually appeared in a film between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, Corvette Summer. Yes, which is like and one of my favorite <laughs> movies from when I was a kid. And if you've ever seen Corvette Summer, he looks exactly the same. Yes, he does. Corvette Summer, that's filmed, that's filmed a few months after the accident, and he, he looks fine. So see, that gives, and, me, that gives me a little bit of hope that this is a false rumor. So he looks fine in Corvette Summer. The other aspect is, is that we know when the original Empire Strikes Back story outline was written, and it was written sometime in 77, and then Lee Brackett, she wrote a screenplay based on that. So the Wampa attack was all in there well before it came time to actually get down to shooting Empire. So therefore, it's the idea of why would they have a scene written to address facial changes that weren't present at the time. Right. Well, and that actually makes sense because the Wampas were actually a bigger part of the story, at least the Hoth portion of Empire, than what actually actually made it into the final cut, correct? Because weren't there some things correct. where they were attacking the rebel base and some of them were kind of trapped in part of the base and let out when the Imperials show up? One aspect is that I'm actually now, one thing that Lucas did do, and this I'm all, um, currently trying to figure out how would you constitute into a, to a, a, a new legend if I, could, if I could write it that way, but Lucas actually did consider adding a sequence to Empire to address Luke's facial injuries. Hmm. So this is something he considered adding at the time of the filming of Empire and they ended up scrapping the scene where they would have like a computer and the computer would talk about his face and fixing his face. So he did consider adding it but that was considered much later and he never ended up putting it into the film. Now there's something I wanted to ask you about because in looking over the, the Legends Revealed website I did notice that there was a, a legend that you have that I had never heard about so I wanted to ask you about it. Did George Lucas add a scene to the original Star Wars to make sure it wouldn't be a G-rated movie? Where did this come right. from? Well that came from I mean, that came from flat out people saying that that's what happened. There was uh, stories over the years that because Star Wars, the idea of a G-rated film would be box office poison for a film like Star Wars. Right. Because why would a kids, why would uh, you know teenagers want to go see a G-rated film? So what? So it, what was the scene that was supposedly added? Supposedly, it was the scene in the cantina when they chopped the fellow's arm off. Gotcha. And so the story really, I think it boils down to is that during the filming of that scene. The special effects people ask, "What are we shooting for here? Are we, are we what kind of graphics do you want here? Are we going to go for a G or a PG? What? How graphic should I make this scene?" And they tell them, "We're going for PG." So they made it fairly graphic. The nope. issue was is that when Star Wars was originally rated by the MPAA, they gave it a G rating. So Star Wars actually went. The producers went back to them and said, "Could you please rewatch it?" <laughs> So this may be the only time I've ever heard of in Hollywood history where a producer went back and argued for a stronger rating. It is definitely it's a definitely an outlier. Yes, <laughs> as one of the the people on the panel, she spoke of the fact that the only two people who voted to give it a PG rating were her and another woman on the panel. She said the other uh, all the other guys in the panel they a lot of them fell asleep during the they just weren't paying attention at all. Thought it was a you know thought it was whatever family movie just gave it a G. Oh wow. Producer asked about it, they said, okay, fine, you get your PG. When when you said that that's what the scene was, and 
the the effects guys were trying to figure out exactly how gory they needed to make the effect. The first thing I thought was normally, like especially in horror movies, you hear about how they trim just like a couple of frames of film or they cut just a couple of seconds of a particularly gory scene to get it from an X rating to an R or from an R to a PG-13. And I just kept thinking to myself, did they have to go back and add more blood or did they they tell the ratings board, okay, we're going to bring another cut back. We're not satisfied with this G. It's funny. One version I had was I heard was that they they added the um, the burnt corpses of Uncle Owen and Peru. Oh right, that would make some sense. But no, but nope, that was in the original version. So the last Star Wars legend that I want to touch on is not actually a Star Wars legend, although it's kind of tangentially related. The movie Spaceballs comes out, and it's obviously Mel Brooks's parody of Star Wars and all the big science fiction movies. There is a great scene in the movie where Mel Brooks, as yogurt, shows all of the Spaceballs merchandise. And not that when I saw the movie, I thought, oh, great, now we're going to have all of the Spaceballs merchandise we can get. But is it true that they were going to have action figures and other merchandise for Spaceballs and they couldn't because George Lucas told them they couldn't? I would say it's more, I mean, it never even got to that point. So I think it was, it's more a question of if it was a different scenario, they would have thought about that. But in order, uh, just like how Weird Al Yankovic goes to the artist that he's parodying with his songs and gets permission from them to do parodies of their songs, so too did Mel Brooks go to George Lucas and get permission from him to do a parody of Star Wars. But part of the agreement for Lucas is sign a piece of paper saying, I agree that this is fair use that this is a fair use parody of Star Wars and I will not sue or anything like that. Part of that deal was that Mel Brooks agreed that he would not put out anything, any action figures or anything like that, that would compete with Star Wars, lunchboxes, things like that. Which is just so bizarre to me because I don't necessarily know that they were targeted to the same audience. So I think the people that would be wanting to buy the Spaceballs merchandise were not still in the market for Star Wars toys. Like I, I think it would have been an older demo. Well, I mean, things like, I mean, they they, put, they did have Star Wars, uh, Space Wolf posters and things like that. So things that any movie would have, they still were allowed to have. Just not things like action figures. So it's funny, in the movie, I think they actually just used um, Transformers action figures. You're listening to Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and we're celebrating all things Star Wars in the wake of the massive release of The Force Awakens. Coming up... We'll find out what it takes to be a super fan from Jason Shepard, whose collection of Star Wars action figures, toys, and memorabilia helped him win the title of biggest Star Wars fan in St. Louis. That's next on Geek Universe. Hey gang, this week's show is sponsored by the Now Write Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Write series, and it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest, or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Brin, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. 
You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com and directly from their website at nowright.net. You are listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Thanks for joining us for this week's special edition of Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and it's our Star Wars holiday special this week. One of the things that made me such a huge fan of the franchise as a kid was all of the toys. Now, whether it was the action figures and the playsets or the toy versions of the Stormtroopers, Blasters, or Luke's lightsaber, the toys allowed us kids back then to relive the movies or, in my case, create new adventures for our heroes during the years in between the film. I was just talking to somebody the other day about how kids today don't understand we had to wait three years in between Star Wars movies, and the toys were the way that we kind of passed the time in between movies. Recently, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch held a contest looking for the biggest Star Wars fan around, and collector Jason Shepard won with a collection that takes up a large portion of his basement and includes nearly every action figure produced over the last 20 years. So we started things off talking to Jason and finding out what the prize was that he won. Free tickets to go see the St. Louis Symphony perform the music of John Williams. Now, so, how, how was that? Like That was awesome. The music is incredible no matter how you hear it. It's incredible when you see it associated with images from the movie. Sure. But when you are sitting there in the environment that's made for live music like that, Powell Symphony Hall, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And really, there wasn't a whole lot of Star Wars music that they played. But, you know, John Williams, he's done the soundtracks for Harry Potter and Home Alone, of all things, and Catch Me If You Can. Very diverse soundtracks, but they all have that common thread. That it, I guess it's approachable classical music. When you hear those opening notes to Star Wars or Superman or Jurassic Park, it just takes you into those memories you have from those movies. I am seriously afraid of what's going to happen when the day comes and he passes away because so much of my life is accompanied by his soundtracks. There are so many memories that are due to his music, and I don't know how... Steven Spielberg movies are going to sound without a John Williams score or the Star Wars movies. I mean, it's just one of those things where he is such an integral part of all of that. Well, the thing to remember with anything with movies like that, when you have somebody who can set up the themes and they can develop those themes early on and just let them continue, you can put anybody in there and they can put their own flourish on it. A great example is the person who did all of the music for the new Star Trek movies that J.J. Abrams has been producing. He worked with that composer on Lost, and his music is he can he can get in there, he can things, and he can develop his own sound with them. But he can still call back to those themes that John Williams wrote, and and I can only hope that people would do that with anything that John Williams has had his hands in. Uh, most of the franchises that are probably Indiana Jones would be the next 
big one that if that he may not be around for if they ever do another movie, they're going to have to have somebody else come in and, and do the music just because who knows, it might be 10 years, it might be five years, it might be next year for all we know, but he's not going to be, he may not be around long to, to do that music, but somebody who can work that magic with what he's already set up, I think, I think it's possible. Let's talk a little bit about what got you crowned the St. Louis Post-Dispatch number one fan in St. Louis. You have an amazing collection, and we're going to have pictures, and I know that Fox 2 News in St. Louis had you on their morning show, and we're going to link to the video and all the pictures of your collection and everything. But describe for people who haven't seen the pictures yet, what's your collection? How big is it? How much room does it take up in the house? That sort of thing. Okay, so what was going? What has happened was I've been that kid that I didn't have all the Star Wars stuff. In fact, I wasn't really that into Star Wars as a little kid. I had an inflatable lightsaber. I had, unfortunately, when I say this, a lot of people are their jaws are going to drop. I had a double telescoping Luke Skywalker figure, and I remember taking it home and I would play with it and I would chew on the end of the lightsaber and it came out and it was no longer. He no longer had a lightsaber, but the double telescoping lightsaber is one of the rarest Star Wars collectibles, and I I had one. <laughs> I had. Don't feel bad because um, I was just looking at things like that the other day, and I had one, and and I actually uh -huh. I think I still have the figure. It just like you, it doesn't have the lightsaber in it anymore. Yeah, uh, I think what happened was when I was a kid, you you would go to the movies to see a movie. You would. You, I saw Star Wars one time. My sister saw it 18 times. Then home video came around. You know, We went over to a friend's house, and they had a VHS copy of the original Star Wars. And they put that on, and I was, it was like I'd found a new movie. And I instantly liked it, but at the time, I was really more into G.I. Joes and Hot Wheels and things like that. Well, then the Star Wars movies kind of went away. You know, like 83, Return of the Jedi came out, and then there was nothing. And there was just a couple of years of uh, Power of the Force figures carried on, and then it, everything just kind of trickled out. And the only thing people could enjoy of Star Wars was either trying to buy up things that they had missed before or uh, some of the books that were coming out. And then things started kind of taking off. You know, it was like somebody finally got the this was kind of a big deal. <laughs> and so they went back and in 94, Kenner, and I think it was Kenner. I, I, I don't know if Hasbro owned them at the time, but Kenner was doing Star Wars figures again. And they were real muscular looking. It was almost like they had taken the He-Man sculpt that Mattel had and just right. shrunk them down to three and three quarter inch. So I decided at that point, I was like, I, this is Star Wars. This is something I, I truly enjoy now. I want to be that guy or that grown-up kid that has every single thing. And so I made it a point, as every new figure came out, I would buy one to keep carded and one to open. Some people think that that's silly, you know, a grown man would open a toy. But to me, it was like, if you're looking at that toy in the package, you're going to kind of want to mess with it a little bit. You're going to want to set it up somewhere, put it in some kind of faux battle, you know. But I really just enjoyed figures, and then they started coming out with vehicles, and I had to get those, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. So my collection started with action figures. It grew to vehicles. It grew to the uh, little trinkets and the memorabilia that you would just like the one-time deals, you know, some limited release items. Sometimes it would be people that knew me 
and knew that I liked Star Wars, they would have collections and they'd say, hey, you know, how, how much would you give me for this? And I'm not one of those guys that goes out and goes to auctions and I hit eBay from time to time. I think, you know, anybody that collects things, you have to go to eBay from time to time just to fill those holes in their collection. But right. uh, I had some very generous people offer me some of their stuff, and I was more than happy to take it off their hands. <laughs> one of the things that somebody gave me was a vintage Adat, and I already had one from when I was a kid. And the, the one that they gave me was in very similar condition. It just needed a few parts. And she, I said, are you sure you don't want me to pay you for this? And she said, I know that you're going to love this just like I did. You're going to put this in your collection, and it'll stay in your collection. You're not going to go out and try to make a mint off of it. And she said, and even if you did, I wouldn't mind. I, I would know that it was going to, uh, you know, to a worthy person. And that made me feel really good about my collection, that other people felt that way about the way I care about it. So then, it, you know, it, everything kind of snowballs. And really, Hasbro, when they took over Kenner, they really, they had a great marketing team and they had a great idea. And so they were churning out lots of figures. And then you had the special editions of the movies come out. And there was a big product launch for that. And then they decided to make more the prequels. And the prequels, you know, you've got Queen Amidala. And she's changing outfits seven times in episode one. And that's that's being conservative. She changed a lot more than that. Yeah, right. People are going to want a figure of each one of that, you know, or that's the thought. And that's why they do it. You know, you've got stormtroopers. They're pretty standard. Then they got the idea, well, maybe with clones, we should give them ranks. So a rank for them would be a different color stripe on their arm. So then people have to buy that. And there are a lot of completists out there, and that's how I was. I was a completist. And it just becomes difficult. Like today, I'm I'm talking to you from coming from a toy run. You have to do that. You have to run out there and hunt for toys if you want to pay the retail price. If you if you want to pay more, you just sit at home and just buy online, and you're probably not going to find the things cheap. So being a collector, it's a hobby, but it's also very difficult. I was just reading earlier today about the early beginnings of Kenner's merchandising of the Star Wars movies, and it, I feel like that's one of the reasons why, as a fan, I had an immediate connection to those movies, because even though we didn't get toys until the following year, those toys allowed me to continue the adventures in between movies. And kids today don't understand the idea of having to wait three years in between Star Wars movies to find out what the next part of the adventure is. And we had those three years were filled with us having our own adventures because we had all the action figures and the vehicles, like you said. And to me, that's what was special about being a kid when the original trilogy was coming out, because we had all of that stuff. And it was the first time that I can think of that a toy company really took advantage of a movie license like that, where one of the executives at Kenner said when they read the original script for Star Wars, the light bulb went off in his head and he said, everything in this script on every page is a toy. We can figure yeah. out a way to do all of the characters and all of the vehicles and all of the planets and everything is a toy in this movie and we can make a bonanza on it. Does it amaze you that even before The Force Awakens came out that they had sold something like $2 billion in merchandise for this movie without it even being oh, released yet? That doesn't surprise me. Uh, the, the interesting thing is you've got to 
companies behind the movie. You've got Disney and you've got Lucasfilm and you've got Hasbro. But then you've got the retailers and the retailers are a little gun shy, honestly. What it's been my experience. Uh you go into a certain I, I won't name names, but certain retailers, they have underestimated how powerful this movie is going to be. And today I witnessed the power of that movie when I went to the store because the aisles are full. When you see the grandparents and they're saying, is this Star Wars? Is this Star Wars? That's when you know you got a hit. We'll be back to wrap things up for our Star Wars holiday special. Jason Shepard has a great theory about one of the new characters that we need to keep an eye on in the upcoming Episode 8. So stay tuned for that and more. I'm Jim Yelton, and this is Geek Universe. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. You're listening to my favorite show, Geek Universe. Thanks for stopping by for another exciting episode of Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and we've been bringing you a celebration of Star Wars with our own version of a Star Wars holiday special. We're going to close things out by having our guests Van Allen Plexico and superfan Jason Shepard look to the future and what they are expecting from Episode 8 coming up in the summer of 2017. I really love what they did with Kylo Ren because it's almost, to me, like he's the surrogate for all of us fans. I mean, if you look at his character, he he worships Darth Vader. And everything he does is, I mean, it's almost like he's cosplaying Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's collecting things. I mean, he collected his helmet, and it looked like he had Darth Vader's ashes in, you know, that, that circular thing that he had in his room. And it was almost like he he's doing a very bad impersonation of a Sith Lord because yeah. he doesn't know how to do it. And I, I love, you know, we talked earlier about how the bad guy is back to being a bad guy and, and that Anakin character, he's kind of like the, the new Anakin in a way. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the fact that it's the reverse though, because it's not somebody that is good. Who's being seduced by the dark side. It's the opposite. Yeah, that was it, interesting. Yeah. I, I really like that idea that we're going to get three movies of this guy who so desperately wants to be evil and <laughs> is not the best at it. The Supreme Leader is showing him the way of the dark side, and, and he's just not good at it yet. And he keeps being <laughs> pulled back to the lighter side of the Force, and I really like that. I mean, I think that was a good character choice. That was clever, yeah. And I'm interested to see what they do with that character, because that's obviously going to be something that runs through the next two movies, is them, you know, all of the good guys trying to pull him back over to the lighter side of the force and whether that works or not. But it just, it kind of struck me as funny that the more, more I thought about it, it's like he's cosplaying Darth Vader. I mean, he clearly yeah. does. He's, he's, he's got his own really cool helmet and he doesn't need the voice modulator, but he has it. And <laughs> you know, it, he, he's not scarred up until, until the, end, the yeah. end of the movie. And, and that was something else. Like it, after that fight, I thought to myself, well, the next movie, he's going to be really happy about that in a way because it's taking him down the path. He's more like Darth Vader now because he's been in a lightsaber duel that he lost and got banged up pretty badly. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that character. But I, I thought between him and Finn, I mean, they were kind of like tied for first as my favorite of the new characters. Yeah. I wish that we had gotten to see the uh, the, the silver stormtrooper lady take off her helmet because she's the actress on Game of Thrones, you know, that's the, yes. big, the big tough. She's awesome. 
awesome. And it would have been neat for her to have a little personality and not just be basically a robot. But uh, maybe we'll see her in the next couple. And Gwendolyn Christie, outside of Game of Thrones, when she's not playing Brienne of Tarth, is astonishingly beautiful. Yeah, yeah. She's just a big lady. And, yeah, and she's like, what, like six foot two or something? Six foot three? I mean, it's yeah. it's crazy. And But that was something where I think it was a callback to Boba Fett, where they wanted kind of like this really cool character that was only in a couple of scenes yeah. that we'll possibly see more of down the road. I mean, that was the thing about all the First Order characters that we saw. With the end and them destroying Starkiller Base, all of those characters may or may not have made it off the planet in time. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the, the bad guys in the next one. Yeah, and I do wish the bad guys had been a little more interesting in that they were basically the Empire. I mean, you can change their name and put extra stripes on the Stormtroopers' helmets, but they're still the Empire. And I don't know. I, I wish they looked a little bit... Just, you know, as, as one person I heard say, if they had seemed a little more cobbled together, like they were the leftovers of the Empire trying to come back together, they just seemed too clean cut and organized right. to be the scattered remains of the Empire. I don't know. I guess I guess they've had time to polish everything up and get their act together to, and to recruit some more British guys as officers. <laughs> I want to see what's going on with Kylo Ren. I want to see what kind of damage was done to him. I want to see Snoke. I want to see what he is or who he is. And I also have a theory about Poe Dameron, and I don't know if I should go into it, but I have a feeling that there's more to what happened to him to survive that crash in the desert than what's being let on because he makes an appearance all of a sudden like he's fine and i don't think he's fine i think the somebody's steering what's happening behind the scenes it's either snoke or some somebody man it's interesting and, that you say that because you're the first person that i have talked to that has said they think there's more going on there i mean we that was a very convenient reappearance you think there's more going on i think there's something more going on because there's a look that is in the trailers and it ha and it's in the movie too when Finn walks by Poe and he looks at him like it's not like you know everything's okay it's like how did you survive where right. have you been why are you showing up now what is the full story how did you get back here right there's no explanation he's just there there's something I think there's something more going on there and I've thought that ever since I saw the first trailer where you see them, because they talk, they talk about the dark side and the light. And when they say dark side, you see Poe walk by. And they say, well, light, and you see Stan. And I'm thinking, okay, something's up there. That's kind of a subtle hint, I think, but I don't know. I think a lot of the things that we're seeing aren't just hints. They're really going to happen. Interesting. And the fact that, yeah, I, that's, that's, I don't know. It may not pan out. It may, I might just be reading, you know. I'm not just going to sit and watch a movie and think, oh, well, this is going on, and I'm just going to stare at the screen and, and take it in. When I see little hints like that or when I see characters interacting in a way that doesn't quite go with what happened earlier in the movie, that's what makes me interested in, in seeing how that's going to pan out. Okay, real quick, I have to ask you one last thing. When the movie ends, we are very clearly meant to wonder a lot about Ray. Yeah. And where she comes from and throughout the entire movie i kept thinking to myself she's able to do things that there's no explanation for and not just force related because obviously at the end of the movie it's fairly obvious that she has some force ability yeah. but you know the way she flies the millennium falcon and the way she's able to repair it and, and she knows all of this stuff and 
she's a very skilled fighter, and there's no uh-huh. reason why she should be. I don't know what path they're going to take with this character, but my first thoughts were she's either Luke Skywalker's daughter or she's Han and Leia's daughter, and they put her on Jakku to keep her away from Kylo Ren because they were worried about what he was going to do. So what what's your theory about Rey? The way that she was hugged by Leia makes me think that that's her daughter. That because there's also that she looks very similar to Natalie Portman, right? And I think that I think that's telling. I think the reason she knows how to fly the Falcon is because she watched her dad do it. I think that there's a reason why the Falcon is on Jakku. It wasn't just stolen; it was there. It was abandoned there for her to bring back. I think that all of these things have been set into motion, and and part of me thinks that Luke is setting some of this into motion. You saw how she was keeping track of how many days, or how yeah. I'm assuming how many days she'd been there. There's a reason for that. She was waiting. I think she's been trained. She had been trained, and she was waiting for this to happen, for something to happen. She may have just been keeping track of how long she'd been there, but I think she was waiting. I think she was also trained by Luke, and that's why I also have a theory about Skywalker blood, you know, because she has that Skywalker blood is what is causing those visions with the lightsaber. Yeah. And people are saying how convenient it was that it just happened to be on the planet that they happened to go to, and it happened to be in the club that they needed to get information from. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is all set up. Luke has set this in motion. He knows that these times are coming. He has set things in motion himself. And the location of the lightsaber and the right people in the right place talking to him. But I think there's people on the dark side that are trying to steer things in their direction, too. That's all going to get really interesting, I think, in these next two movies. This week's show is sponsored in part by GeekArmory.com. This is one of the coolest places on the interwebs for everything nerdy and geeky. They've got t-shirts, toys, gadget apparel, and knickknacks from Star Wars, DC Comics, Harry Potter, the X-Men, and, and much, much more. It's holiday shopping season, and there's no better place to find something awesome for that special geek in your life. It's the favorite place to shop for the well-armed nerd. It's Geek Armory on the net at geekarmory.com. That's geekarmory.com. You've been listening to another exciting episode of Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Find out more about the Geek Universe, including how to buy Jim's book, the exciting sci-fi adventure The Swindlers of Doom, along with our other geek merchandise, information about our live shows, our full archive of previous episodes, our bonus features podcast, blogs, and more at midnight-entertainment.com. You can also find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 minutes of geek. Geek Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC and is a proud part of the GLN Radio Network. This episode is copyright 2015. All rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. We are.